start. Uh, hello, uh, everybody listening. Um, this is, uh, what are we going to call ourselves? The, is that the name that I re- recommended? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Scientia. And uh, today, or, well, our goal, right? My name is Aban Khan, and I am joined by the guy who made this up. Manu Panala. Yes. And so we, Manu approached me uh, about this idea of a podcast in which we talk about interesting ideas um, in the medical field uh, and in science. And I thought it was a wonderful idea. So here we are. And every week we're going to talk about uh, something interesting, um, some topic that we find really, really fascinating. And uh, Manu had the wonderful idea for this week to do uh, cancer and cancer treatments. Uh, Manu, you want to talk about that? Yeah. So kind of just wanted to go over first what cancer really was. So there are differences in between like normal cancer cells and the body's normal cells. So let's just put that down. That is horribly small. Is that readable? Yeah, I can read it. <laughs> Why is that so small? Um, you you might have to change the size of your brush next to color. Oh yeah, there we go. So we have cancer cells, and then we have normal. So one of the main things is cancer. Cancer cells grow out of control. Whereas our normal cells uh, only go through controlled uh, mitosis and meiosis. And so your body wants to maintain a certain balance. Uh, we use the term homeostasis. And it's very common. Your, your body is all about maintaining homeostasis. We normally regulate our body temperature. We regulate, regularly uh, maintain our metabolism, our blood sugar. And how many cells we have is also one of the things that we control because we don't want things growing completely out of control. That's what defines cancer. And so another thing about what makes cancer cells so bad is they have less specialization. And so what happens is when you hear about all these different cancers, breast cancers, liver cancer, kidney cancer, all these, the main problem is these cells are essentially a waste. They take up space, they take up your body's nutrition, and they give you nothing in return. And so they ignore their original function and instead influence the cells around them. So let's say you have cancer in your kidney. Your kidney is responsible for regulating everything about your blood and making sure everything's okay. It's also part of your excretory system. So what ends up happening is if you have kidney, kidney cancer, what happens is some of those cells are going to control undivide uncontrollably, divide uncontrollably, and they won't have any any benefit for the body. They're just going to use up all the sugars and not give you any benefit. And on top of that, they're going to influence the cells around it, causing that taking away nutrition away from them and causing them to die. I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that. Um, and so we often see that um, as Manu so gratefully provided us that they grow uncontrollably and as a result um, they're dividing constantly and so we see that cancer kind of manifests in two forms Uh, we see that they either manifest as tumors or of course they flood the blood and so we see that 
Um, the cancer usually takes two separate paths um, in order to kind of, I don't want to say complete its mission, but uh, when, we, when we see it react in the body, of course. And so tumors, of course, I just want to explain this real quick, it's a little background. Tumors, of course, are masses of tissues um, that are formed by the joining and merging of abnormal cells, which is what we see in cancer. Uh, that's, that's all, unless you want to add anything else. No. So um, basically the idea behind this podcast or this take on the podcast is we're going to focus on new treatments and options that have been used to try to, or research to try to combat cancer. Right now, humans are outliving their life expectancy, which is like our bodies are only built to live a certain amount of time. And so when we reach above an old age, probably around life expectancy is like around 70. But when we outlive that, things happen all around of our bodies. That's why we start to lose our eyesight. That's why hair starts falling out. It's why we start getting arthritis and our immune system starts attacking itself. But cancer also happens in children and normal people, which is not what should be happening. And so that's Did what you... makes it so dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's actually happening is the point I'd like to state is cancer is normal. Um, in normal people, we're normally fighting cancer. Your body's always going to go through errors. However, the body also has measures in place to make sure those errors don't go overboard. So our body is naturally looking for cancers. But what's happening in people who have like these tumors, metastatic cancer, breast cancer, any sort of like cancer that we can see medically is something's preventing the body from actually being able to deal with the cancer or the body is not able to activate its measures in place. Absolutely. And so we see that the body is threatening itself. And um, as Manus also stated that this is kind of a normal process that our body kind of constantly looks for um, cancers. But in the case of cancer patients, unfortunately, their bodies condemns the whole entire entity of the body a threat. And so we see that they constantly attack themselves. We see that they're discriminately, like indiscriminately multiplying and kind of trying to control the situation by having them like the misjudgment of believing that the entire body is a threat. Yep. And um, just before we get into the treatment of cancer, I just want to slightly go over uh, a few things about the immune system. So we're, I think you, you're probably going to have this because this is, this is big in research. Uh, cytotoxic T cells or T immunotherapies. Yeah, um, actually, that was the first thing I was going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, so before, before we get into that, I just kind of want to introduce the... There are two main systems of, that the body maintains immunity. That's through... Let me get my pen out. It's through T cells and B cells. And so T cells are... Um, these are the main attackers. They These are the ones that will... They're, both T and B cells are produced in the bone marrow, but T cells are the ones that can actually detect um, viral antigens and viral, basically anything foreign in the body, and will go and attack that cell. And what it does is it's this process called phagocytosis, where it engulfs the target cell and emulsifies it using um, different acids and enzymes. And what that does is it literally deteriorates the foreign cell. And what B cells do, it's a bit more complicated, is they mark 
foreign cells with antigens. And antigens are basically just proteins on the outside of the cell that act as markers. So when B cells come across a cell that isn't normal in the body, because our, each person has their own antigen, it'll mark it. That marking allows for what's called, well, not cytotoxic T cell, but it's uh, called a T8 cell. And that's the scientific term. And this T8 cell goes out and finds these specific antigens. So B cells activate other kinds of T cells called the C8 T cells. And these cells actually go out and do targeted attacks on cells. So if you'd like to go into your research, what you found. Yeah, so um, this is a lot of this was also taken from my bio class that I had taken uh, for the, my last college year. Uh, and so I just kind of want to explain before that uh, T cells and B cells. So our immune system uh, generally has two different types of defenses, um, innate and acquired. So the innate immune cells, they're the body's kind of, they're the body's first defense. It's what the body resorts to first, right? So they'll quickly identify a foreign cell, as Manu mentioned, and they'll fight the infection. Um, and so the idea is they'll quickly try to get rid of it. Um, and so this could be like the common cold or, you know, just kind of a sickness that you get um, from school or something. And the second one is the acquired immunity. And so the idea is this is where the T cells and B cells come in handy because this is going, this process of using the T cells and B cells is longer, but it's also used usually whenever there's a new foreign object that the body has trouble dealing with. And so um, would you like me to start talking about the cancer treatment itself? Um, yep. For sure. So we already established that cancer cells are cells that divide relentlessly, they form tumors, and they flood the blood with abnormal cells. And so the goal of immunotherapy um, is to use, is the, immuno, the immune system attacks cancer cells, right? The idea is that we identify cancer cells and we attack them. And so I did a little digging around and I found an article um, from August 26, 2019, and it was that Rice University developed a treatment using illuminated nanoparticles to heat and destroy tumors. And so this was tested on 16 men ages from 58 to 79 with low immediate risk low, um, localized prostate cancer. And so the idea was it was a two-day treatment. Day one was intravenous infusion of nanoparticles. And so what they would do is they would inject the nanoparticles, they would weigh a day, and then on day two, they would use image-guided ablation treatment. And so the idea is they would, um, they would inject these nanoparticles into these um, people identify where it was and then get rid of it without damaging the rest of the body because the issue with cancer treatments currently is that you cannot get rid of cancer without damaging the other parts of the body and so we see especially with this certain treatment that personally got my interest because it, it was a good way to highlight and kind of indicate specific areas of the body that needed it and not only that but do it without harming the rest of the area in which that cancer is located. And so I found that the way they did it, um, so the way they did it is they used particles. And so they were tiny silica spheres with a thin outer layer of gold, and they're called nanoshells. So they're 50 times smaller than a red blood cell, and it was invented in 1997 by Halas. And so what they found was that by changing the thickness of the golden shell, Halas showed that she could tune the nanoshells to interact with specific wavelengths of light meaning that until those wavelengths of, light inter wavelengths of light interacted with the nanoshells, they would not do anything, they would remain dormant. And so then it was invented by Halas and Wes, 
a method of destroying cancer cells by heating these nanoshells with a low-power near-infrared laser that could pass harmlessly through healthy tissue. So now that we see, instead of using, instead of having the immune system attack the whole body, as long as a doctor or as long as um, someone who's treating these patients knows and can identify where they are, where this uh, where they need to treat it, they can only attack the tissue or they can only attack the cells in the place that they are, allowing for a lot more precision and it allows for a lot more um, safety in terms of long-term effects of these patients. That's actually interesting. Um, speaking of like the targeted stuff, yeah. I recently came, actually this morning I saw it, it popped up in my recent news, and in Israel they're doing cryotherapy treatment. And what they've done is, so let's say this is a body, horrible, um, kidney somewhere up here. I'm just going to use kidney as an example. This is a tumor. And what they've done is they've come up with the idea of treating the tumor, let me just write that, by freezing the tumor. Really? So what, what they'll do is they'll take a needle and minimally invasively they'll They'll target the tumor, and they'll literally inject small particles that will freeze the tumor. And then what happens is they'll take out this needle. Um, it's then they'll stitch the person back up if needed, but it's it's a very thin needle. And what'll happen is this tumor will just freeze over. And what happens is those cancer cells, because they're frozen, have now become inactivated, and one of the things about cancer is that it works to inhibit your natural immune system. But now that the cells are frozen, your natural immune system can actually go in, and as it thaws out, your immune system can go in and attack these frozen cells and remove the cancer that way. Interesting. And so uh, I guess my first question would be this impediment. So for example, if you freeze these cells, um, would that not cause damage to the body? For example, if these cells are frozen in place, they cannot move. Um, would that not obstruct movement of other red blood cells? Yes. And so this is this is why I was really skeptical about this. I was actually talking about this with someone. And it's really weird because you need very targeted precision. And especially, like, even in my example, if you're going to apply this in the kidney, you need to make sure you're not going to obstruct any normal processes that goes on in the body. And this can happen anywhere in the body because also the body can't handle very cold temperatures. So if by chance you inject way too much of this cryofreeze material, you could end up having adverse effects on the body. Absolutely. And I imagine that if, for example, something went wrong, because of course human error does exist, we account for it in any experiment that we do in the science field. Um, we see that if human error because this is a very human process. A doctor has to be able to put this needle in. If they miss, I can imagine it would cause extremely long-term damage, especially if it's, a, it's in a sensitive area. Um, and not only that, but the impediment of red blood cells. Because red blood cells are constantly moving. I feel that um, the whole body is recycling, reusing, making new blood cells. That's how we live. Um, so of course that does you do bring up a good point you know like there it's very it does make you skeptical because it then you question 
what what can go wrong and then a lot can go wrong obviously right <laughs> yeah yeah there's a lot and it comes with any sort of treatment i mean you were mentioning how current treatments um negatively affect the body it's because it's true um we we found specific materials and we call this chemotherapy where we use um chemicals as therapy hence the name and what happens is these chemicals attack and kill cells the problem is that not only does it attack cancer cells, it attacks the natural healthy cells as well. It doesn't discriminate. It's, it can't sense anything. All it does is, oh, this is a cell. I'm a chemical. I'm literally going to make this thing explode. Absolutely. And I think it's very interesting that um, we're not using, rather than use the body's own defense system, I know a lot of, a lot of treatments use the body's own system of identifying antibodies um, and antigens in order to be able to deal with this. However, I think it's very interesting that... Um, this type of this type of uh, treatment that you and I were discussing about it uses nanoparticles, and I think it's a very interesting concept because we're using something other than the body's own natural um, resources to treat it, and it makes you wonder um, how do you you know how do you treat something that's so deeply involved with your own body processes, you know like and I think it's very interesting that we're using nanoparticle technology and nanoparticle research in order to be able to do this because. Um, the idea of being able to use these in order to manipulate our body. It's very interesting. I don't know. I, I find that it seems like a lot of the research, especially from what I've done, a lot of the treatments are going in that direction of using outside sources to pinpoint where these are and then eliminating them. You know, and I think part of the re you're definitely right. And part of the reason is we need to get specific. What's happening is our current treatments are actually negatively impacting the body. Uh, I've done a shadowing experience at an oncologist and like sure the patient-to-patient -patient interaction was pretty okay like there there were of course people like i've seen people come in for the first time and they're like this can't be serious i i don't have cancer and then i've seen the people come in for treatment and the chemotherapy just destroys their body like these people are weak they have no appetite and they just they just overall like feel life as very low and so what happens is because we can't specifically target all of our medications all of our treatments have to become so tiny focused and it's hard because it's just like when you're doing an organ transplant that's the reason why you need to have a match because you need antibodies that the person who's going to get the donated organ is they're not going to reject the organ they're not going to attack it and cause a giant immune response and the same thing is going to ha want to happen in the body you want to make it so the treatment's going to react only to the cancer. But because the cancer is technically originally part of your body, it's hard to find that very small uh, specific thing that makes it different. And um, there, there is actually a couple papers um, where they've taken a sample of the tumor from a patient, and then they've taken some T cells from the patient's bone marrow. And in vitro, which just means in a lab or in a clinical setting, they've basically groomed these specific T cells to attack that specific cancer. And then what they've done is they've taken those line of cells and literally just injected it straight back into the bone marrow. So those, those line of T cells will be reproduced by the body. This works. For a short period of time because cancer is constantly mutating right. and what happens is 
cancer will create a new antibody and it's very common that that's the reason like cancer can start someplace in the body and end up somewhere else it can start off as something and it can completely change and that line of t-cells you introduced is now essentially useless absolutely um and so i just an interesting note about the research that i did um when i was reading this article uh Turns out, uh, just the results, they did follow-up testing at 3, 6, and 12 months after the treatment. And at the end of the 12 months, they found that only two showed detectable signs of cancer in follow-up biopsies and MRIs. That is Ooh, that's good. That that's really good. Yeah, that's extremely impressive. Um, and what was the total sample size? Was it 16? It was 16, yeah. And so we're looking at almost, I'd say, 90%. Is that 90%? <laughs> I can't do math like that. But it, that's amazing, the fact that we were able to get that much that that many people were able to walk away with very it was a minim, it was a very minimally invasive procedure and they were able to walk away without that much damage to their bodies. Um, 87.5%. 87.5%. There you go. <laughs> That's that, that is amazing. Honestly, I think and I was reading it it got me really excited for just of what nanoparticle technology might mean in the field of science in general. Um, this isn't the topic of today's podcast of course, but it's just very interesting. It could be. Know. It could, definitely could be. <laughs> yeah, it might end up. <laughs> um, but I don't want to you know, focus on what I did for my research. Is there anything you'd like to bring up? Um, um, there's one thing. Let me just see if I can. Yeah, for sure. Copy this. <laughs> I don't think it'll let me. I have this image. Um, it basically exp um, it's the effects of CTLA and B7 blockades. And so, what those are? Let's see. Can I? I can't put it in here. Oh, wait. wait, I can. Uh, maybe take a screenshot of it and then you can probably open it up with uh, your program. I have no idea. Let's try. Sniping tool. I'm sorry, I'm aware sniping I tool? <laughs> I, I am aware I pronounced that wrong. I do that on purpose. <laughs> Oh, there we go. Oh, sweet. Awesome. So, just a little bit of background. Um, so, CTLA-4 and PD-1 are your natural, um, your body's natural immune system. It's part of it. Um, these are anti-tumor immune responses, which are constantly active in the normal human body. And so, what you can see here... So your CTLA blockade, um, excitatory, that's what black means. It means it's going to make this happen. It's going to do priming, which is basically, um, it's a bunch of processes to replicate DNA, but the end result is affecting T cells. These are our C8 T cells, also called effector T cells. And it'll also do peripheral activation, which basically just means this will happen on the side, but it will also have an effect on the T cells as well as these NK cells. Now, NK cells are actually, these are one of my favorite named cells because they're just called natural killer cells. <laughs> and so these two things in conjunction will actually um, activate anti-tumor immune responses normally in the body. Wow. What happens though is with cancer, they produce proteins and chemicals that actually stop this, these blockades. And you, this is where you see these red lines. These red lines with the rec where the bar at the end are all inhibitory signals, meaning it's going to stop this. So what happens is 
CTLA will generate these, these blockades will generate signals that target telegraphic APCs. And there's a lot of complicated stuff between these and TREGs, but essentially what they do is they actually inhibit the production of effector T cells. And they also cause exhaustion, which is essentially just you're working the body so much without getting any return that your body has no resources to produce those T cells as well because you're making a new line of cells that actually requires a lot of energy. And so th all of these red um, effects or inhibitory effects all slow down the effector T cells and in result reduce the immune response. Now what they've done is they've produced certain chemicals where in vivo administration, um, which is basically just in live in the patient, they administer these antibodies, um, which results in the rejection of tumors. And it works good on paper and on uh, mice trials. However, human trials haven't led to much success. You can see an initial reduction of the tumor However, eventually that tumor just becomes immune and it'll just, not immune, but it'll produce uh, certain antibodies and chemicals that'll block the signaling pathways even more. That's, cancer is just very resourceful disease. It will literally do anything to promote its own growth. But there is some research and this is where it starts entering a gray area where the NK cell production is actually not really inhibited. You see all these red lines are always pointing to the effector T cells. So there is research that's focused on cytotoxic NK cells, which is basically making these NK cells more specific, which means they'll, they'll still um, detect that the cancer is part of your body, but it'll detect another antigen that says, oh, this is part of our body but this is bad, we want to get rid of it, sort of thing. And it's where this is where science starts forming a gray area because this is what people are trying to do right now. There's actually no heavy research done in this area. It was heavily done on infector T cells, and the problem that everyone's running into is you can make these T cells so specific, but you can't stop them from being inhibited. Right. And that's where we require other sort of treatments. Interesting. And so I guess my, my initial, well, my initial thought is this is all very interesting and this is also all very in line with what my second uh, topic that I was going to bring up was. So go very, ahead. Very nice. Well, I actually, I actually had a question or rather a response to this that you brought up um, because I think it's very interesting and I, it makes you, it definitely makes me question if there is a way to maybe do it because this is, this is done in process when the person already has the cancer, would there be a way to apply this before and to prevent the cancer outright? Um, so, yeah. The idea is there. However, our body naturally, so the thing is, I mean, we always talk about this. Yeah, your body naturally fights cancers. That's what it's supposed to do. So what, what the real question is, is like what's stopping the body from actually fighting cancer to the point where it gets like this you know right. that's like that's not where research is really going research is going let's let's make a treatment mm -hmm. sort of thing and that's definitely right we need to come up with a treatment but we also haven't gone to the point where we don't know what's going on 
what what's happening in the body to cause this cancer. And I mean, there was one person, um, he was a graduate student, I don't recall his name, but he was working in a hospital and he, he was seeing all these kids with uh, lymphoma, which is uh, cancer of the white blood cells. And so childhood lymphoma, like he was seeing hundreds and hundreds of kids in these hospitals. And he's like, kids this young should not be getting cancer. Like the, this is the time where children are ha have like they're becoming immune to everything they have such a strong innate immune system they shouldn't be getting sick that much and yet these kids of age five or six are having cancer and so he did research and he did a lot of uh, genetic sequencing which i really won't go into because it's not really that's really a separate topic but what he found was 80 percent of the time this the cancer cells were actually producing the same strand of DNA. And so they were rep initially, their initial cancer cell progenitor cells were actually all the same type of cancer. Really? And so this goes to where, where you're like, oh, can we stop this? Potentially, if they find a treatment for this specific type of cancer, which is constantly showing up, you could outright stop the cancer spread in those children. And you could potentially boost the immune system. But as we are now, we don't exactly know what's cause, like what's making the cancer go out of control. We know in very small cases, okay, the immune system's becoming weakened, you're becoming old. But in the age of like young people between like age three years to 25, like even older than like 30, 40, we shouldn't be getting cancer and yet it's happening. We, we don't really know why. Right. No, beautiful response. And I agree. I feel like we need to establish a treatment first and then call, uh, treat the source or treat the cause because at the end of the day, people are going to get cancer regardless. And this battle has gone on for so long. And so this leads me into what I was going to talk about. Um, and my research led me to QIMR Berghorfer in uh, Brisbane, Australia. And so this medical research institute... Um, absolutely wonderful they did absolutely wonderful work and so they believe they have discovered a potential new cancer immunotherapy which involves switching off a regulatory cell to stop tumors growing and spreading and so their research led them to a regulatory cell called mait or mate and it's uh stands for mucosal associated inferior... because they're australian <laughs> absolutely because they're australian um no but it's the mucosal associated invariant t cells and so they found that if this type of regulatory cell is turned on they stop immune or white blood cells known as t and nk cells from attacking and killing off tumor cells so the idea is as long as it's turned on they stops immune or white blood cells from attacking and killing off tumor cells and so what they did, of course, as any scientist does, is work on mice, unfortunately. Poor mice. And so they go work on mice, and it, they show that um, many tumors actually display the molecule MR1 on their cell surface. And when it's apparent, the molecule turns on an important regulatory cell that prevents the body's own immune system from fighting the cancer. And this is directly from Associate Professor Tang. And so the idea is, as long as MR, MR1 is on the cell surface, um, the molecule will turn on MAIT and it'll stop um, the white blood cells from doing what they were 
supposed to do, a complete hijacking of the body. And so what the cancer is doing is it's creating a defense mechanism against the body. And it's it's really impressive when you think about it because it, the like the cancer the cancer knows that it needs to you know live and that this is how it's going to do it and it's going to sabotage the body entirely, um, and so I think what's the most interesting part about it is that this they even admitted this does not work on every cancer but for cancers that do display MR1 this could be vital, and so MR1 itself which I'll go into is a protein coding gene, and it specializes in presenting microbial vitamin B metabolites which are necessary for metabolism um, and for so for digestion and so it's involved in the development and expansion of a small population of T cells expressing an invariant T cell receptor alpha chain which is mate and so these lymphocytes are located in the gut the idea is MR1 develops T cells and so by turning off or by expressing MR1 they can turn on MAIT mate and be able to not, or the white blood cells would, wouldn't be able to attack the body or the cancer in this uh, scenario. And I think it's very interesting. Um, and it only worked for those cancers that were found uh, possessing MR1. Okay, so the question I have here is what is their idea with um, the MR1? So the MR1 is inhibiting the body from attacking those cancer cells. So how do they plan on dealing with it? That's a good question. And um, as I was reading it, uh, it turns out the way they were the way they were going to do it was they were going to basically block MR1. And so what they were going to use is they were going to use antibodies. And unfortunately, I could not find what antibodies they were. Um, they were going to use. Uh, they didn't say it in their website or in the article that I was reading, unfortunately, which I will we will link to all our sources. Um, and so the idea is that they're going to block MR1 from being expressed in the first place, which would prevent um, that or prevent mate from being turned on. And so the idea is that by blocking MR1, by using an antibody to block MR1, they would be able to prevent uh, the white blood cells from not attacking the cancer cells. So I think I may have found, I don't know if it's the same one you're looking at. It's definitely not the same company. This is a research article through the NCBI. Yeah. But what this is, is uh, I can maybe, can I copy this image? I can. Oh, sweet. Okay. So this is, these are the MR1 antibodies. Right. So I think what's happening here is these are two, two different um, treatments that they're using to HLA-1, HLA-2. And this is this is literally something I've just looked up, so I don't really understand all of it. Right. But um, it says the HLA gene locus is vastly varied between individuals. And although conventional T cells have aimed to target common, common alleles, such as LA, HLA-A2, which is this one mm -hmm. at the bottom right, uh, a significant portion of HLA mismatch patients cannot benefit from this type of treatment. So this is a very targeted treatment. It requires your body to have a specific response to a specific antigen. But what I'm seeing through this, uh, what they're calling it, they're calling it an adoptive T-cell therapy, right. is this is a receptor that will attach onto the cancer cell 
and then actually it'll have uh, adaptive elements that will actually chemically call T cells. Mm -hmm. And so rather than going to the MR1 receptors, these T cells will be more chemically attracted to the HLA1, HLA2, and will want to bind to them, thus causing the normal immune response. Yeah, no, that's, I don't know. That, I think that's 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 a this that's similar uh, conclusion to which these uh, scientists at Berghofer reached or reached. And so the idea is they would actually let me pull it up so I can get a quote from this article specifically, so I don't botch what they're trying to say. Um, they even mentioned that it probably won't work on every cancer. And so the idea is they want to understand what kind of human tumors display MR1 as a protective mechanism. And so they would want the, the, their, their next step is to identify which tumors would best respond to MR1 blocking immunotherapy. And they do this by, it looks like the method that you just described, yes. Okay, that, that's interesting because um, I mean, the immune, system, the immune system is so adaptive, and it's weird because, yeah, cancer is such a huge problem, but it, eventually if we let the body adapt, it will, it will um, find ways to combat it. It's just cancer has so much, such a so proun, profound effect negatively on the body that it's hard to even give the body time because with, with most cancers, people are dying within 10 to 12 years or they're having like horrible uh, responses to treatment and to the cancer itself. So it's not really a disease where like your body can adapt as quickly and the, the disease doesn't really give it time to. Right. And um, I think we see that um, it's, it's kind of similar when you apply the concept of vaccines to a human body. Um, where we are given time to adapt to maybe the new strain of the flu, which is why we don't get sick once we get our flu shots. Um, here we're seeing that um, humans are dying too quickly for them to be able to adapt to something like cancer. And so um, it's interesting now because the idea that, especially with this specific type of immunotherapy, the idea of you know d using an antibody to block MR1 particularly, is interesting because when you now we want to deal with, for example, stopping this outright, you know, finding a way to finding a way to be immune to it. Well, how are we going to do that? How are we going to give every human um, the ability to block these receptors? And you know, how many are we? How many times are we going to have to give them that a specific treatment for specific cancers? Because there are multiple types of cancers, right? And so the idea is the idea now is, for example, this specific treatment I just mentioned, it's very very isolated in its in its treatment because not a lot of people might be getting this specific type of cancer that deals with the MR1. And so now we have to determine when and where can we apply this and how, you know, like how do we give ourselves an innate immunity to cancer? Um, and I personally cannot imagine that myself. I feel like cancer is going to be an even longer and even more difficult fight because it's so varied in its effects. We see cancers of all sorts throughout every body part. And so it's interesting because how do you make so many defenses against so many different types of the same affliction? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, you can see, like, when we talk about cancer, we generally say, oh, what kind of cancer is it? Lung cancer, kidney cancer. Cancer can ha can and will happen anywhere in the body. You could literally just have cancer happen right under the skin of your arm, 
it's we generally see it focused in specific areas but cancer can happen anywhere in the body it can start somewhere it can move somewhere else which is um, actually one of the biggest dangers about blood cancer which I believe you mentioned a little earlier and you know it's really difficult and so I, I just like to sort of wrap things up with where do you want to see cancer research going like what ideas do you want to see people attend to and what do you think people should push more on um, a very interesting question. Um, I certainly don't contain or possess all of the answers, unfortunately, but um, I want, I will say that uh, if I want cancer research to go anywhere, I firmly believe that cancer is a problem. We can all agree on that. Um, in terms of where we want it to go, I was very personally fascinated by um, nanoparticle research. The second types of, the second type of uh treatment that we found with the restricting of course the communication between for example mr1 and mate um that i found to be very isolated and it could work for more rarer cancers and of course we'll need to develop that but i think using nanoparticle technology to specifically attack the um cells uh would is where i kind of want to see it go i think that's where we're going to find our answer i think by using different using that type of technology we'll be able to have a much safer outcome for cancer. Um, and so I'll throw this question right back to you. What do you expect and where do you expect it to go? So I sort of expect the same thing. It's just, um, you know, when I get into this research, it, the thing is, there's so, you need to target everything so specific. Everything needs to be so specific that even when you're producing these antigens, when you're re genetically modifying these cells or making them more specific and reintroducing them into the body. Like, what's to say these cells don't randomly mutate outside of the body and have negative impacts? And same thing with antigens, as you know, it might work out in the short run, and then suddenly we see these adverse adhesive long-term effects where all of a sudden patients are coming with some skin disorder. Like, there's endless possibilities. We just don't really know the long-term applications of this, and this is where research kind of you face this area where it's like do you give the treatment or do you test these people for 10 to 15 years and to see if these have negative impacts down the road but um the other area i like people to focus on is i mean this is another topic we can talk about because a lot of medical research is always going towards okay let's make the next vaccine, let's make the next penicillin, let's make the next treatment. And um, there's not much research being done anymore that's like straight biology, straight anatomy, straight what is going on in the body. And um, I'd, I'd like science to start taking that um, leap, that golden age leap again, where we were just about 20, 40, between 20 to 40 years ago, there were just discoveries happening like crazy because everyone was asking the question, why is this happening? Right. And so I feel this is another topic we can get into separately, but I feel like we need to make that shift back away from, okay, let's stop making a product towards, okay, what's really going on in the body? Absolutely. And I think especially with cancer itself, uh, the reason why it's so it's just taking so many lives and it's you know such a problem is because we never would have seen it coming. We were so content with um, the products we were creating. We were so confident in the products we were putting out. We didn't realize that there was a bigger threat that was going to come out and just sweep the rug out underneath us. 
you know like no matter how high we go we wouldn't we wouldn't we wouldn't we never expected that and it hit us anyway and i think we weren't prepared for that and so that's what really hurt us the most and i think it put us behind especially in terms of cancer research because now um you know how long it takes to create a product in which or a treatment in which it would you know be able to successfully and carefully and you know really just end it you know and i think we're definitely not going to see the end of cancer anytime soon because unfortunately as it stands this problem is going to persist and um absolutely i i, th I definitely find it a very interesting question and i definitely want to talk about it or pursue it you know in a podcast later down the road because i certainly do believe that we got so uh encompassed by making products by being able to solve every problem that we didn't see it coming at all Meet, see you guys uh, next Friday uh, for our next segment on this of this podcast. Bye. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>